Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series. Today we're joined by several outstanding guests with many years of experience in the security industry between them. Paul Moxness is a managing partner at North Point International and co-founder of the Always Care Consulting Company. He previously was vice president of corporate safety and security for the Radisson Hotel Group. Mark Sana is the managing director at Dynamic Security Solutions International and a member of the OSAC Board of Advisors. He previously was vice president for global security at Hyatt Hotels, and before that, senior director for global security at Kraft Foods and Philip Morris International, after retiring as a diplomatic security special agent. Rich Davis is the founder of Rich Davis Security Consulting, I I might say an excellent brand name, uh, and was the managing director of global security at United Airlines. He is also currently the president of the International Security Foundation. I am proud to call each of you a valued colleague and friend, and my thanks to all of you for joining today. Um, So we'll go ahead and jump right in. Obviously, we all know uh, these are uh, tremendously unusual times, and and for some unforeseen, uh, you know, for those who had extensive pandemic uh, crisis plans on their shelves, this is, uh, you know, the day that they may have been uh, preparing for. Um, And we'll kind of jump ahead to thinking about, you know, what CSOs, security and, 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 and intelligence leaders might be needing to think about, uh, you know, when uh, we are anticipating um, some degree or some version of normalcy returning. So eventually we, we know that work from home restrictions are going to start to be rolled back and workforces will start to return to their offices. When that happens, uh, are there lessons to be gleaned from hospitality, given, yeah, from, given that we have benefit of your experiences in particular, Paul and Mark? Um, maybe uh, some lessons from reop- reopening hotels or staying open through health crises. Yeah, so I can jump in here, Greg. This is Paul, and 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 thanks to Sibyline for in- inviting me to to join this uh, podcast today. Um, I I can tell a story from. Uh, I mean, none of us have been through this kind of global pandemic, uh, and it's it's unprecedented times for sure. I think the closest I've been to to anything like this was uh, when we had the Ebola outbreak in in West Africa in 2014-2015. In Sierra Leone, we had just opened a hotel a few short months before um, an emergency state was declared in the country. And by the time things really exploded there, the the hotel was in its so-called ramp-up phase. So uh, they were trying to establish themselves in the market. Obviously, revenue dropped to close to zero, as it's done all over the world right now. Um, And there was a huge decision to be made uh, between us as the operating company, the local owning company, um, the local government and others uh, to decide what should we do there. And, And the easiest thing we could have done was to just extract ourselves from the project, shut the hotel down and and leave. Uh, the second easiest thing to do would have been to fire half the staff to cut costs and, and try to manage uh, with the small amount of guests that we had until things improved. But what we actually ended up doing, and it was the general manager at the time, it was his idea, was that rather than 
fire half the staff and send them out into an even greater uncertainty than they lived in to, on a daily basis. Um, he negotiated with the owners and with the staff unions for everyone to take a 50% pay cut. And then they were going to try to keep everyone on, on site um, as long as they could. And that turned out to be a, a great blessing for us because the, the, the few guests that we did have were mainly from the CDC in the U.S., and they trained all the staff. They set up protocols to keep the hotel safe from this virus. And so it, would, it became a safe haven. And then when the rest of the world kind of woke up and started to send expertise down to help the country, we had a fully staffed hotel that could take them on board. So they didn't have to go out and try to hire people and not know were they contagious, were they not contagious, things like that. So I think the lesson to be learned from that was try not to take knee-jerk reactions too quickly just to 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 you know cut costs or, or say but try to be as creative as possible on how you can manage for as long as you can manage uh, before you have to really close things down and uh, and obviously a lot of places have already had to close airline routes have had to shut down um, and we have to start looking at, okay, what's the best way to, to, to ramp up this again later? Uh, I'm not sure that work from home restrictions will, will be the first thing to, to, to lead because I think a lot of people have found good ways to work from that. But I'll be interested to hear what the others think about that. So, Greg, in my experience, yes, we've had MERS experience, SARS experience, but when I look back on unprecedented events, there's two that I think of in my own lifetime. The first was the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, the second was 9-11, not so much the event itself, but actually the grounding of all aircraft in the US uh, within a matter of hours. An unprecedented action that up to that point had never been done before. And I think this pandemic is on that kind of a scale, unprecedented, requiring actions that had never been done before. For example, in the hospitality sector, really closing the majority of our inventory around the world it has been a big challenge, as it is for the cruise line industries, the scaling back for airline industries and others in the hospitality sector. But looking forward, what I would say is the ramp up, the, the return to work is not going to be a situation of, you know, uh, hit the lights, raise the curtain, it's showtime. It's going to be more of a gradual restoration of operations. And I see six areas. First, rebuilding the staff. So uh, returning from furloughed workers back into the workforce, recruiting and replacing lost workers, and actually some form of training as part of that ramp up. It may be on hygiene practices in the new workforce environment. It may be a reaffirmation, as Paul said, about work from home requirements, retooling, et cetera, but rebuilding the workforce. Second is re restoring supply chains, uh, getting them back online. Third is resetting operations um, scaled to the current environment. So it may start off small, but you're going to have to have the agility to ramp up quickly as demand then again begins to pick up. The fourth is what I call rebuilding your book, which basically is customer engagement, 
trying to regain your lost business. So um, it might require promotional strategies to regain sales and business. There's going to have to be a strategy around that. Fifth is capitalizing, really capitalizing on opportunities. And I don't mean to sound predatory, but as a result of this, there's going to be businesses that have failed or have gone out of business and they present opportunities to either expand your business, acquire inventory, buy their property. Uh, there's some opportunities on the back end that should be considered as part of the strategy. And then finally, not to be overlooked, is you should review what happened during this pandemic. What measures did you implement that were successful or not? Because there may be a resurgence of the same pandemic or uh, a variation of it in the near term, but certainly it's not going to be the last pandemic we face, and you would want to learn from your experience in this one. So those are kind of the six steps I see as part of restarting businesses. Rich, anything from, from your perspective on either either airline industry specific or from your your, your broader uh, you know, corporate security uh, industry uh, experience? Anything you, you can also glean from that? Well, first of all, uh, following on what Paul and Mark have already said, those are some absolutely wonderful things to think about going forward. When you think about the airline industry, and I'll, I'll stick with that at the moment, the first thing I miss during this crisis is being amongst all the leadership in handling the crisis, thinking about the crisis, the challenges coming towards everyone. You really miss that. I, I've tried to stay a little bit close to it, talking to a lot of uh, former colleagues and the challenges uh, that have been on their plate these last few months. And we all know what has happened to our industries. Uh, the airline load factors are wavering between 5 and 10% on the remaining routes that are in the air, uh, which devastates our industry, the hotel industries, restaurants, food, all sorts of uh, unintended consequences as a result of this. And the challenges going forward aren't going to be solved very quickly because people need confidence in what we in the hospitality sector are going to be doing as we do ramp up as Mark outlined. The public needs confidence in what we are doing. And one of the important things that we have to do is get the confidence of our employees that their work environments are going to be safe for them to operate in. So for us, it's our pilots, it's our flight attendants on the aircraft, it's our customer service agents that are in the lobbies and at the gates, it's our baggage handlers that will be touching everything, it's our mechanics, and on and on and on, our fuelers, the people that support us, our wheelchair pushers, the TSA and the screening people. It never ends, it just goes on and on and on of the people impacted. So when you think about those kind of things, uh, I'll elaborate further as the questionings go on, but it touches everybody, and that's similar for both hotel and uh, airlines and airports. I think that suggests a pretty natural follow-up uh, to when companies out there do start 
uh, you know, examining the possibility to, to loosen restrictions on travel for business. Um, the, the CSOs and the travel security managers out there um, they are clearly going to be looking at considerations of, of, of health and safety and the similar aspects around airlines and air travel and hotels. Uh, for those, from the perspective of you who are preeminent experts in these areas, truly, um, you know, what would be some useful and suitable questions or indicators for those folks to look at, um, as opposed to what I certainly anticipate will be, you know, some, you know, information, let's say, that, that might prove to be more distractions than meaningful inputs when actually given, you know, the, nece the, the need for reliable and valuable in information regarding uh, the opportunity for, for travel to resume. So I guess I'll start there. Um, distractions. Distractions can come from many ways. Uh, the communication of the media, the communication of our governments, the communication from country to country, uh, myths, fake news, all sorts of distractions will uh, take up the time of so many people that are making decisions because they have to wean out those distractions from the facts. And the facts have to come from those sources, the companies themselves, our governments, the CDC in our country, the World Health Organization, everybody that has input into our situations. How do we gain the confidence of our employees? How do we gain the confidence of our customers? It trickles over into other entities. When do you feel comfortable going back to a restaurant or a nightclub? When do you feel comfortable to go to a sporting event? When will we feel comfortable to go to a concert? When will we feel comfortable to go back to our doctors? Who did our doctor see before me? Who did they, who, who's been in that parking lot? Who's been in their elevators? All of these things are concerns that we all have with everyday life, but particularly in our industry, how do we get people comfortable to get in an Uber, to get to the airport, to check in with the touch screens, paper tickets, handing our IDs to the TSA, putting our phones down after the guy in front of us put their phones on to read our ticket, to read our boarding pass, who sat in the seat before me, who was on the tray table. All of these myths are going to compound over the months to come, and we're going to need to depend on so many different entities for real and accurate reassurance of the safety of our employees and our customers. Yeah. I agree with Rich. Uh, assuring customers is going to play a huge role in the resumption of travel. Uh, but at a kind of a macro level, I would start by asking the question, travel to where? What destinations are you going to want to travel to? And why? Why does it require personal interaction? For some businesses, they are going to have to travel back to China because they have large manufacturing centers there, for example. So this is where intelligence is going to play a key role. And like Rich said, there's data, there's information, and then there's really intelligence. And the intelligence for me is around gathering information about what is the situation in the various destinations. 
what's hotel availability, what's the availability of travel modalities, whether it's cabs, cars for hire, train, train run operations, subway operations, whatever, what health incidents have occurred there, are occurring there, et cetera. Do you have a medical fallback plan if the traveler gets sick while traveling? What's the reintegration plan related to travel when they return from travel? Are you gonna self-quarantine them? Will that be necessary or not? I think if there's ever a time where security and travel should be joined at the hip, it's in this post-pandemic uh, resumption of travel period because you're gonna have to be sharing real-time information, actionable intelligence to enable people to travel freely and but with some assurance and i think it's that element of assurance that um, uh, is really critical as part of this paul if you want to, anything you have to add no i was just going to build on on something both rich and, and mark touched upon and that's a, the fact that we're going to have to rebuild confidence both internally and with our customers uh, and both hotels and airlines uh, and hospitality, anything to do with that is, is hugely labor intensive. We're never going to be able to automate our production, put it that way. And so we'll have the, the first step, as Rich said, is that we'll have to gain the confidence of our, our staff. But by doing that, we also need to train them in, in how to gain the confidence of the customers that are traveling uh, so that we don't become proponents of the, of the myths that are out there. Uh, but that we can debunk those right at every touch point. And I want to pick up on some of the conversation around customer engagement and, and, and kind of turn it a, a little bit sideways. Um, I, I think, you know, the discussion up to this point has been on, you know, companies, customers in terms of paying guests or, uh, you know, in hotels or airlines, uh, you know, or, you know, consumer goods or anything else. Uh, taking instead the perspective internally inside the organization, um, you know, it, it's, it's my inclination to think that there's going to be a similar process going on where CSOs, uh, intelligence leaders are going to have to similarly uh, redouble their efforts at customer engagement in terms of their own internal stakeholders, uh, you know, corporate risk leaders, uh, you, the, the comments about partnering uh, with, with corporate travel, um, you know, being uh, another good example of that. Undoubtedly, you know, security teams have been in close coordination um, with uh, other corporate officers throughout this crisis. How can CSOs and other security leaders maintain, um, you know, that that perspective of, of being, you know, in some cases, perhaps further integrated than they were previously or integrated differently, uh, you know, across the, across the uh, corporate uh, functional spaces. Uh, what, what, what new approaches to leadership, what new approaches to internal uh, customer or stakeholder engagement might be necessary? Uh, I'll take a shot at that. I think maybe one of the transformative aspects will be uh, centered on intelligence and intelligence sharing across the enterprise. And rather than kind of providing Intel product, 
to internal stakeholders. It's going to be more around acquiring intelligence germane to their resumption of business operations and parsing that out across multiple stakeholders in customized packets to that particular entity. So whether it's HR wanting to understand uh, medical implications in geographically diverse locations, uh, acquiring that information for them, helping them to uh, manage that re the rebuilding of the staff and the reintegration, as Rich said um, and, and Paul alluded to. But also, as I said, if you're restoring supply chains, it's uh, acquiring intelligence for them about supply chain uh, uh, capacities, uh, vulnerabilities, gaps, et cetera. Uh, I think that's going to be hugely important in areas such as the food supply chain. Um, and, and as Rich said at the beginning, it's kind of a never ending daisy chain. So think about it in terms of our own food supply. One of the critical pieces of intelligence would be, are we gonna allow migrant workers into the US to pick crops that eventually have to be put into the food chain to produce products that have gotta go on store shelves? So it's thinking through these entire chains uh, facilitating, facilitating the thought process around that, I think is a critical role, emerging role for security. And may I add to that what Mark has just said, what you have been witnessing or what we in the security industry have been witnessing these last few months is an incredible and successful outpouring and sharing of intelligence uh, wonderful communication between the security officer industry. The chief security officers working with ISMA, OSEC, DSEC, as is Sibeline and so many other uh, successful groups, international SOS. We have been sharing information so well on an hourly basis, day and night, seven days a week. It puts an exclamation point behind the security industry and what we do, what we have built over decades, how we successfully communicate, benchmark, share information. It's the perfect example where all of us are not competing with each other, but sharing our knowledge and our skills for the overall wellness of our industries around the world. You're watching it every day and we continue to watch it and build things and react. And it's just such a joy to be a member of that uh, group of people. Yeah, and if I can just add to that, Rich, you touched on at, at the start, the, all the, the, the struggle to find you know, factual information or intelligence or whatever you want to call it and, and how that challenge is is becoming greater by the day to get rid of misinformation. And I think, so the value of these trusted networks of people that you know and, and communicate with directly is, is something that will just continue to increase. Yes, and to, to add something else, Mark mentioned uh, how, how we're gonna slowly ramp up to hopefully where we were before this crisis began. I believe we're really in the crawl, walk, run mode 
uh, as we ramp back upwards. And particularly in our airline and hotel industry, the challenges are so many, but a couple to name, and Mark, you said it earlier, it depends on where we're traveling and where we're housing travelers, whether it's China, whether it's Iowa or the Dakotas, whether it's in Europe, South America, any of the continents. We obviously have an overload of aircraft and hotels available for the traveling public, which are not going to be utilized too quickly. It's definitely crawl, walk, and run. Uh, I can remember, and I know, Mark, you can remember, uh, seeing all the gray in, in our two images here. Uh, we remember when there was regulation and the government regulated where we could fly to. It wasn't as, as it has been since the Carter era. They also regulated what carriers you could fly on. Exactly. So uh, it's going to be a very big challenge, and I'll speak only about airlines, but you, you guys can add to the hotels. Unfortunately, while we're crawling and while we're starting to walk again, I would speculate that there's not enough demand for what's potentially available. So it's going to be a slow crawl to see who flies between what routes and to where, who starts from what cities, and similarly, hotels. Not every hotel is gonna reopen up and everybody experienced five and 10% occupancy. It will be interesting to see how we work together without the traditional, we can't collude. Collusion is, is not acceptable in these days. Uh, but these are the things that are the out of the ordinary thoughts that are going through people's heads right now as we begin to crawl uh, one of these days and hopefully ramp up to walking sooner than later. Totally agree with you, Rich, in terms of that approach of crawl, walk, run. The, in the hospitality sector, the challenge, they're, they're going to have to be, I guess, a lodestar actions that people will benchmark to. So, for example, in the hospitality sector, the first to go in the downside is meetings and events, followed by business travel and then leisure travel. And so, from my perspective, we have to have a multiple pronged strategy, but it's going to be paced incrementally, as you alluded to. So starting if and when we lift the lockdowns in the U.S., the pace will be do people travel more domestically or and not so much internationally for leisure travel because they're apprehensive about going to Europe or they certainly don't want to go to China or Southeast Asia for leisure travel now, et cetera. So will they take more car trips and stay in the U.S. closer to home because they fear if they get sick, being able to get home quickly, you know, manage all like that. So I think there's going to be a period of apprehensive travel, if you will. And then the next will be meetings and events. You're going to have to see at some point somebody says, we think it's okay to hold this convention. And that might be the Republican or Democratic conventions that are upcoming, or it may be uh, major events like voting. Are we going to hold and uh, go to the polls? But people will reference that or they'll look to those kind of events. 
when sporting events return, they will say, well, if it's okay to go to a sporting event, it's probably okay to travel in some way. So it's going to be referential, uh, I think. It's not going to be just simply, okay, we can go travel now. And so it'll be a combination of their assurance, as you said, or their comfort zone with traveling based on what they see in other sectors, sporting or conferences or conventions or whatever, and then destination specific. Uh, that will be a, a longer burn for them. But I think business travel will probably come back uh, more strongly than what people anticipate. I think as people get assurance, I think the lag will actually be leisure travel because that's optional and people will be more, I think, more inclined to remain closer to home rather than traveling globally. Anyway, that's my perspective. I like to compare things to sports a little bit. And when the major sporting sports of the world get ready for their seasons, they don't start out sprinting. They don't start throwing hard, hard pitches. They have to crawl before uh, they walk and get in shape. In a gradual crawl in our hospitality industry, if successful, starts to breed confidence, not only in the employees, but the travelers themselves. And that will start to lead into the walk phase and obviously ultimately into the running phase. But if we move slowly, and ramp up as quickly as we can with confidence, we'll get to that running phase a lot sooner once we have the confidence of our public and, our, and of course, our customers. Yeah, and just to follow up, Rich, I agree with you. I love the, that analogy. If you're in baseball and it's spring training, you still start with the idea at the end of the season, we're gonna be world champions. We're gonna be the World Series champions. And I think businesses can't lose sight of that. They have to have some end point, whether it's returned to the way it was, I don't know, but they have to have that world championship goal in mind because as you make that increment, you cannot just be reacting incrementally as you begin that process of walking and crawling. I think you have to have that goal in mind uh, to be able to drive your activities towards it. That helps you pace uh, whether you're shift from call to run, run to sprint. Uh, and I think that's an important part of the restoration strategy, not to lose sight of. Can we also apply that metaphor to the operations of the security team as a whole? So, you know, Mark, from some of your previous uh, uh, comments about having to rebuild staff, return of furloughed employees, rehiring uh, and, and training, you know, what's the, what's the spring training with a vision to World Series championship? Um, what's that going to be when it comes to rebuilding new normal standard of operations for the security teams that you would have been leading as CSOs that your, that your, your counterparts and peers are, are, are going to be anticipating doing now? I think um, most people will kind of try to restore what they had before, but I think I would comment in the following way. One of the most critical aspects that's not only applicable for security teams, but also for the workforce at large, is to understand the psychological impacts that may be attendant to this post-pandemic uh, 
period. Some of the colleagues may have lost a colleague to COVID. They may have lost a family member. They may have lost a very good friend. They may have fears about returning to the workforce and becoming infected. You know, they've gotten through and now I'm going back to work and now I get sick because of going back to work. So there's a whole aspect of reintegration that needs to be also thought through in terms of the psychological aspects. And just as a reference, I'd use uh, a book by Kevin Bacon, uh, Kevin Brown rather, called Fit, Fittest of the Fit. It's about the Royal Navy during World War II and the reintegration of crews that had been sunk and how to restore them uh, back. And some of, the, some of the mistakes that the Royal Navy made in trying to put them, integrate them with functioning crews and the challenges that they face psychologically. Anyways, it's a great book about that and um, fittest of the fit. And I think the psychological part is a part that I would hope our colleagues really pay close attention to, both for their own work teams, as well as for the workforce at large. May I add to that, Greg? Uh, I, I highlighted the work that our chief security officer community has been doing throughout this crisis. And one of our colleagues put out an excellent paper on LinkedIn recently and similar to what you're saying, Mark, uh, he highlighted some words, and I, and I want to read off what he highlighted as we do return back to work, whether it's in the field environment or the headquarter environment. The importance of empathy, clarity, passion, humility, decisiveness, team support, development, training, and strategy are among the many things we have to remember day to day because as leaders, chief security officers have to have all of these in, in our toolbox as we go from issue to issue, situation to situation, and, and supporting the stresses that our teams and staffs are going to have as they return to work, whether they did lose lost ones, whether they had uh, major financial challenges, or whether they were in similar roles in their local communities, it all comes back to our work environment that people will be doing 40 and 50 hours a weekend. And all of those words are important to our toolboxes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important, um, Rich, because uh, this is a crisis that in many ways is different from many other crises where if you have, say, a fire in your hotel and, and it can be, terribly tragic and all that, but at some point the fire is put out, the hotel gets rebuilt, and you start from scratch again. You have to build, rebuild the trust. You have to, you know, re-staff your, your property and all that. But in this case, we will be moving forward and reopening uh, at a time when the crisis, the, the issue isn't 100% resolved, right? So it will be contained, hopefully, and, but I, so I think we ha also have to be prepared for the fact that there might be, it might be a case of two steps forward, one step back in some ways as well, because if you get a new outbreak, you'll have to, you know, shut down again, certain areas, uh, hopefully we'll be able to contain ge geographically better. But I think we have to be prepared that this won't be a linear 
return to business. And I think the, the words that you mentioned there are, are super, super important because a lot of companies will probably view this in some ways as an opportunity where everyone's starting from scratch again. So you have the, the, the first to market opportunity. So if you can get out there and reestablish your, your business first, it gives you a, a leg up. But on the other hand, you have to be really cognizant of all the risks that still remain and will still remain. So it, it would be a real juggling act. And I think uh, my experience is that a, a lot of corporate security officers are really good at looking at the big picture and, and managing all these different segments of, of risk that, and, and risk and opportunity that we need to manage here. Um, and I think that will be a, a really key role for companies is to, to allow business to restart, but to make sure that there is a, a real good strategy for how do you deal with setbacks? How do you deal with, um, you know, employees that say, I'm sorry, I just, I can't travel now. Uh, I don't want to travel. Uh, and how do you get those people back into the workforce and, and not just punish them because you thought they should go and, and check out their, uh, uh, reconnect with their accounts across the country or across the world. So I think there's a, um, and Mark touched upon it as well, that travel and security need to be joined at the hip. But I would say security needs to be much more uh, integrated into the total operation going forward. And, and this is something I think all of us have, have worked on in our companies, trying to make sure that security really understands the operation of the business but going forward, I think it will be even more important for them to influence how the business develops when we're going out into a situation that isn't fully resolved. Great points, Paul. And, and it, it jogs my memory of the post 9-11 environment that Mark also alluded to earlier. And what's incredibly important, at least it was for me, post 9-11 and will be for everybody, uh, COVID, current and post-COVID is the relationships the CSOs need to have with their medical departments and their EAP programs. You can take the temperature of your company with great communication with those folks on what's going on out there, who needs support, who needs help. It's so important because it is invaluable to uh, the, the temperament of the workers who will be sent to travel. And that's going to happen with all of our companies. Uh, people will be afraid to travel just as they were after 9-11 for an extended period of time. And the input from your medical teams and your EAP teams is, is, is a big asset to your uh, daily process. Yeah. I just would add a final thought uh, to what my colleagues have said too, and uh, is that I think for those security leaders who have felt, um, let's say, more distinctively security in times prior, it's an opportunity now to move more strategic. So what I'm struggling to say is, uh, yes, security may be called upon to do certain things in the post-COVID ramp up, temperature taking, they may have the security teams doing things like that, but 
it's a time to shift more strategically and become a part of the integrated strategies uh, of the return to work. And for example, what Rich said, I can't, empathy is huge, a huge part of that strategy because when you think of a global workforce, they will all have experienced this pandemic differently and will have been impacted by it at different, to different degrees. Our colleagues in China may have a completely different experience than our colleagues in Italy and in Europe, or our own colleagues here in the US or Canada. And so understanding and appreciating that differentiated experience as part of the return to work strategy, I think is huge. And I appreciate Rich and Paul bringing that up about empathy, caring, um, and valuing people uh, as they return to work. Well, gentlemen, I, I can really think of no better way uh, to have wanted to uh, wrap up some of the important comments offered on this podcast, uh, you know, with, with that focus on return to work and empathy. Um, you know, with that, uh, I, you know, a, a chance uh, to go around the horn, if, you, if any of you have any uh, additional kind of, you know, final uh, comments, thoughts, uh, advice uh, to to your peers in the in the field uh, as we conclude. Well, maybe j let me jump in. I think uh, one of the biggest lessons from this is the importance of being prepared. Without sounding like a Boy Scout, I do like be prepared. Uh, those groups that have seemed to weather this event more successfully are those that invested in being prepared. They've done crisis management. They invested in the exercises. They pushed hard to find the gaps. They built redundancies like work from home capacity, uh, stemming from that training, those training experiences. So uh, I think that's a huge lesson learned, the value of crisis management preparedness and exercising and training for it and thinking about the unthinkable. So um, that's my final thought. And further al along the same lines of, of being prepared, I think uh, the companies that, that uh, might get a leg up on the, on the restart might be the ones that also already now have dedicated uh, recovery teams working probably more or less separate from the, the crisis response teams, but recovery teams doing simulation trying to gather intelligence about how how is what is the best way for our company to restart uh, what works in places that are, are maybe already loosening up on their uh, on their restrictions and things like that and then one final thing I wanted to, to mention that is a lot of people that work in corporate security uh, in companies even quite large companies are either alone or in very, very small teams. And it's probably, uh, you know, psychologically and, and speaking about empathy, it's probably a really, really tough time for them as well. And so I would say for those that are on their own or in a really small group, use your peers, use the networks that Rich mentioned earlier, you know, OSAC, DSAC, ISMA, as is uh, regional networks, regional councils, whatever your industry council, but reach out to those people because they're, everyone's in the same boat now. 
everyone's kind of going through this same thing. So no one should have to go through it alone. Thanks, Mark and Paul. And rather than repeat what you guys have already said, which I completely endorse, I'd like to uh, mention some historical events that completely changed the aviation industry. Obviously, the tragedies of Pan Am 103, TWA 800, and 9-11. What followed those incidents were commissions that Presidents Bush, Vice President Gore, and of course, George Bush, post 9-11 put together. And that is probably what will happen after this one in a different way, but also all companies are going to have to have their own internal commission, let's say, on what we didn't do well, what we did well, where we can improve, and it's part of your diary. The diary began a while ago. It's going on every day. And while, this, while we're in the middle of this crisis, continue to learn every day on what needs to be changed in the future. And like I said earlier, and, and like Paul just reiterated, the best, the very best thing chief security officers can do is get engaged, become engaged. If you haven't already done so, get engaged with the OSACs, the ISMAs, the DSACs, the as-is's in the world right away. It is the best benchmarking you can do. It is a daily learning process from the great people that are in our security industry, invaluable, and it helps our corporations on every continent. It's the best thing you could do going forward. Brilliant advice, um, incredible nuggets of wisdom um, and, and advice, uh, a marvelous discussion. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. And I very much look forward to getting on an airplane uh, and sitting in a hotel uh, and, and gathering for happy hour with each and all of you sometime, hopefully very soon. Take care, be well, stay healthy, wash those hands. Thank you very much uh, and see you all soon. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you've enjoyed uh, this edition of our Sibline Insight Series podcast. Thank you very much. Our pleasure, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. <laughs>